0: thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day.
1: We are a people. His love sets free, connecting people to live life abundantly. You know you always have a home with us. Connect Church.
0: Many times when you look back over your life, you can look at, at certain points, certain decision points in your life and say, wow, that decision changed everything for me. You can say, man, if I would have chosen to go this way, if I would have chosen to go that way, my life would have completely been different. Sometimes it feels like we're walking through life with a coin and we're flipping it. Heads or tails?
2: Heads, I'm going to do this. Tails, I'm going to do that. And we're like, which way should I go? Heads or tails? Heads or tails? And every decision carries with it a destiny. What are we going to do with it? When I look at, at, at presidents and, and, and certain
0: presidents, you can see how they defined a destiny and how they had such a strength about them. Think about George Washington. Even at the age of 22, everybody looked at him and said, wow, that is a guy who's on fire. He's a, he's a riser. You look at Abraham Lincoln and early on in his leadership life, he was a mess, he was a
2: wreck. And then he turned it all around. But I want to tell you a quick story about Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was,
0: you know, when you're president, you greet a lot of people at the White House. You have to go through and shake hands. And everybody's polite to you because you're you're the most powerful person in the world. And so he's shaking hands. He's getting bored. So he decides one night that as he's welcoming people to the White House, he's going to say this to them. I murdered my grandma last night. And so people would come in and he'd say, he'd shake their hands and go, I murdered my grandma last night. And I go, oh, well done, well done. Keep up the good work. Except there was one foreign diplomat who came in and he said, I murdered my grandmother last night and shook his hand. The guy leaned in and softly said, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> when we talk about biblical meditation, it is about us listening to God. It is about us reading the Bible and allowing God to speak to us. It's never about emptying our mind. It's about being filled up with God. And the more God we can get in our lives, the more of the Bible we can get in our lives, the more that it starts to create a destiny of Christ-like behavior. Because the word of God comes into us, it starts to force out all these other things, all these
2: other distractions, all these other problems, and we start to focus on God. Back when I was in high school, the movie uh, with Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of
0: Thieves came out. So, still, in my opinion, the greatest Robin Hood movie ever made. But there's a scene in there where they're, they're shooting bows, and Maid Marian blows in his ear, and he completely misses the target. Because he was distracted, right? And so when we think about biblical meditation, it's getting rid of those distractions, and getting focused. What does God want for my life? What do I need to pour into? It's about reading the Bible and getting it into us. And, and so in Psalm chapter 119, in fact, this week, if you want to spend time every day, read a little bit of this chapter, all of chapter 119, and if you're thinking to yourself, "You're going to ask me to read one chapter for an entire week, I mean, how, how slow do you think I am? Well? There's like 176 verses in Psalm 119, so you may want to break it up. Each second section of it is set apart by Hebrew alphabet, bet and gimel, dalit, and goes on and on all the way through, but the section I want to focus on right now is section 97 through 104. In it, the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for, <clears throat> for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from evil paths, so I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. He says, I I meditate on your word. And he's talking there, "It, it, it allows me, you see, biblical meditation, meditating on God and pouring a scripture into us, here is the number one thing that happens when we get more of God in our life. As we are filled up, as we are filled up with God, it forces other things out of our life. And so over and over again, when you see, if you read through Psalm 119, it talks about getting filled up with the Word of God, and it forces sin out of our lives. Sin is wrongdoing. Sin is is putting ourselves above God. Sin is all about ego. And and so ego is edging God out, whereas biblical meditation is pouring God in. And if we were to rewrite Psalm 23, I'm sure you guys have heard Psalm 23, but I am going to Read it to you from a 21st century point of view. The clock is my dictator. I shall not rest. It makes me to lie down only when exhausted. It leads me in a deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done. For my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. The demand performance from me... Beyond the limits of my schedule, they anoint my head with migraines. My in-basket overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressure shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will ever dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. See how that kind of speaks to us? That's That's where we are, right? We have bought into this view that we need to get as much stuff in our lives as we can possibly jam in there. And if there's ever room for margin, instead of using it to rest and relax and and allow God to pour into us, we say, man, I I shouldn't just be sitting here. I should be doing something. So one of my first jobs, the summer after after freshman year of college, I went home, and and mom and dad told me to go get a job that I hated. So I went and worked at McDonald's. And they had this saying when when I worked there. I don't think they do it anymore because I've been at McDonald's lately, and I'm pretty sure they don't obtain this anymore. But they said this if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. And so if I was sitting up there and I was working front line, I was working the cash register, and and if it was ever slow, the manager would come up and say, hey, are you leaning or are you cleaning? And I always thought to myself, you turn around, I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna be cleaning out pretty soon, and it just ticked me off, but that was what they were saying was, hey, don't just sit there, do something. And then
2: I had a mentor who told me this, Don't just do something, think. I'm like, okay, I have ADHD. Do you know how hard it is for me to sit and think? I mean, every every time I sit and think, I'm like, ooh, ooh,
0: ooh. That's so cool. We were at a family wedding last night, and they gave us bubbles. And so I opened up my bubbles, and started blowing bubbles. And Terry's going, Mark, Mark, not yet, not yet. Wait for the bride and the groom to get out. I'm like, well, they didn't give me that instructions. They just handed me bubbles with no instruction at all. So I filled in the blanks. Anybody else do that? Thank you. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I mean, when people do say, you just got to fill in the blanks. And so God says, hey, I, I want to fill your life up with the Word of God. I don't want you to sit there and, and, and empty your mind, because when you empty it, anything can come in there and fill the, the, the dusty cobwebs of Mark Bush's mind. But I want you to fill up your mind with the Word of God. So when I was in... First grade through sixth grade, we had this program in our church called CYC, Christian Youth Crusaders. It was a Christian knockoff of Boy Scouts, and uh, we didn't do nearly the cool stuff that Boy Scouts did. But you would memorize Scripture, and they would give you pins for memorizing Scripture. And I remember I memorized John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. When I say memorized it, my chair and just kept saying it over and over again so I could repeat it back to her. She goes, Mark, it shouldn't be this hard. Just memorize it. But why were they working so hard for me to memorize scripture? Because they wanted the scripture inside of me to keep me from sinning against God. Psalm 119, 105, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. They wanted that inside of me to protect me, to, to help me make right decisions. The Hebrew word translated for meditate is what a it's most commonly translated as what a cow does with his cud. Anyone ever been around cows? They just sit there and they chew on their cud over and over again. And so in Hebrew, when they're saying, I want you to meditate, in Psalm, they saying, I want you to meditate.
2: He's saying, I want you to chew on what God has given you. Chew on it. Chew on this. Ever think about that? When I look at cows, I don't notice they're chewing. You know what I think of when I look at a cow? That
0: would make great steak. I just think, man, that, that, that's going to make a great
2: dinner sometime. But what God is telling us is we need to chew on the Word of God the way a cow chews on its cud.
0: You see, we need to learn to love the Word of God. And I mean, when I say love it, to, to, to put it to action, we can't wait to get more of God in our life. Psalm 119.97 says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. I chew on it all day long. He saying, if you want more of God in your life, you've got to get to that. you got to get to that. That's got to be your goal. To where I can't wait to chew on the word of God. I can't wait to get in the word of God. I can't wait to see what God has to say to me. I, I've been a pastor for a few years now. And, and you would say, well, Mark, you, you've been studying the Bible. I went to, to college. I went five years to college for a four-year program because I was accelerated. And in my accelerated five-year program, there's a four-year program, I studied one book, and it was the Bible. And it's like, wow, you're really slow. No, no, I was accelerated. Did you hear me say it? I was accelerated. But John Wesley says this, we should be a people of one book, the Bible. That should be our guiding point, our guiding path, and we should love it. We should understand it. As we were Going on our way to a family wedding yesterday, we stopped in Owasa to do some shopping, and Terry ran into one of my former college professors, and she goes, yeah, Dr. Weeder wants to call you. And I'm like, oh no, please don't call me. Because he's probably gonna ask me about Romans chapter five because I had him in, in, in Romans in college, and we had a test over just Romans chapter five, and I got a 40 on it. Not like 140, a 40. Not like 100 minus 40, I got a 40%. Four out of 10 answers right. He came in the next, I didn't feel too bad because we had a guy in our, in our class who probably part, wrote part of the Bible, Dan Benedict. Dan only got an 85. So if Dan got an 85, my 40 is looking really good. But he came in, dropped down the test papers and said, you should all become bricklayers. If this is no more serious and you're going to take the word of God and preaching, just go outside and lay bricks. I'm like, wow, that's a kind of serious stuff. So every time I see him, I remind him of that. I'm like, hey, uh, I'm not laying bricks, but I learned how to paint, or learn how to do this, and he'll laugh
2: at me, and he goes, hey, I needed to get your guys' attention. But the word of God, to meditate on it, to
0: love it, to to understand what God is saying. We learn to love the word of God when we consider what the writer of the Hebrews is saying about Christians. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter six. And this will probably mess with you a little bit, and that's okay. In Hebrews six, start, Verse 4 through 6, it says, For it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because of their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God over and over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. You're like, wow, that's really salty. What's he saying in there? He's saying if if I sinned and I'm I'm gone, I'm cast away. No, what he's saying is if you turn your back on God and say, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want God deciding my path. I want to be my own leader.
2: I want to be my own person. I want to be my own God. It's impossible because you knew what you had. You knew what you had. And so God is calling us. the word of God, to know what we believe, to know what we understand,
0: because it's knowing that great things happen. When we truly get that, we are enlightened, we have tasted the heavenly gifts, we have shared the Holy Spirit, we have tasted the goodness of the world of God, there is a blessedness in God's word. There is a blessedness in God's word. Maybe you've come here and you hear us use that term blessed over and over again, you're like, what does that mean? What Jesus told us, we are blessed when we do certain things, but we are blessed when we put God first. And then God says, wow, because you're putting me first, I will bless your life. Everything we do, it's it's about a heart matter. It's about putting God first. It's about loving God with our mind, heart, and soul. And when we put God
2: first, God says, well, watch this. I'm going to bless you. And sometimes God's blessings don't look like our blessings. And here's the other thing. Sometimes God doesn't bless on our time scale. I I I am I am truly
0: blessed. I'm truly blessed to the pastor at Connect Church. I'm truly blessed that people who surround me that that love me and, and, and take care of me. And on Wednesday, my uh, my boss, the uh, Reverend Doctor Devin Smith, whom I affectionately call Rev. Dev, was here, and he met with the church, and on Friday we called to talk, or he met with the, the leadership team or our board, and on Friday he called to talk to me, and, and he, just, he just said this, he goes, wow, Mark, he goes, you truly are blessed, I hope you realize how many blessings you have, and I said, oh yeah,
2: I said, there are days when I wake up and say, man, I can't believe this is going on, but we talk about sacrifices to get there. Sometimes we make sacrifices, when we parent our children, we make sacrifices, don't we?
0: So there are things that we want, and we say no to them so we can get things for our kids. And our kids don't necessarily come back and say, oh, man, mom, dad, I really appreciate that sacrifice, but this was awesome. No. They look at it and say, well, you're a parent. That's what you're supposed to do. Right?
2: I mean, Jack never does that. (laughs) (laughs) But in the sacrifices that we make, we see blessings sometimes hey sometimes we get lost in the weeds and all we see is the sacrifices we make
0: and sometimes we cry out to God and say God do you see all these sacrifices I'm making but God says don't worry here's a term I use this with with PK all the time I said PK don't play the short game play the long game and what I mean by that is don't worry about what happens right out here in front of us we're thinking Off in the distance, what's five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, how is this going to work out? Because when we get so busy working the
2: short game, we can feel like we failed. My great-grandma raised four kids. And when I was younger,
0: my great-grandma, who's a tremendous Christian, tremendous prayer warrior, she was so close to God, she never cut her hair. In fact, one time I saw her with her hair down, she was only 4'10", but it went all the way down the ground and bent and came back up about another six inches. And she would pray, and she would pray loudly because she assumed God was deaf. And of her adult kids, she had one that was a follower of Christ. I remember only my grandma was a follower of Christ, and then
2: one by one, her other adult kids came to Jesus. And I know because her
0: grandson is my dad, who also was her pastor for a while, but she'd have these conversations with my dad saying, i failed so much. And my dad kept saying, the game's not over yet. The game's not over yet. You see, when we seek the blessing of God, we, we, we can't be short-sighted, we can't be thinking what's in here now. We think, man, what is God gonna do in the future? How is God gonna use this? How is God going to do these great things? It's amazing when we truly love what God is doing. We learn to love his laws because we can be careful about how we live. Ephesians 5 and 16 says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Be careful then how you live. We live in a world that tells us everything is acceptable. You can do whatever you want to do. If it feels good, do it. But God's saying, just because something feels good or seems right to you, should you do it? When I drive, it feels good to go 10 to 15 miles over the speed limit. The only place that that is acceptable to do is in Fort Worth, Texas. In fact, in Fort Worth, if you're not going 25 miles over the speed limit, then you are a
2: traffic hazard. Just because it feels good to you doesn't mean it's right to do. If
0: I were to go up to, to Terry and someone gave Terry something, and I'm like, you know, I really want that. And she's like, no, they gave it to me. And I'm like, yeah, but I want it. And she's like, yeah, but you know, they gave it to me, and, and I really like this. And i were to go up and rip it out of her hands because I'm stronger than her. I mean, I can't take a lot of people, but I can take I can take Terry. Rip it out of her hands and take off running with it. Does that make it right? <laughs> they hear yes. <laughs> yeah, nothing's mine. I just want you to know, nothing in our house is mine. I, I, I just, I, I just live there. I'm the
2: hired hand. Everything's Terry's. But yeah,
0: just because I can forcibly take it away from her doesn't make it mine, does it? So we've got to get these things straight. And God warns us begin against making wrong decisions and wrong choices that often cause long-lasting suffering and pain. We say, well, this feels good in the moment. This is what I want right here, right now. And we have, we have school teachers here, and they, they can attest to this. A lot of parents' bad
2: decisions are played out in their kids' lives. We have adults here. A lot of our parents' bad decisions are played out in our lives.
0: So we've got to make sure that we're looking to God because the, the word of God is sweeter than honey. Psalm 119, 1 to 3 says, How sweet
2: are your words, my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Jewish people had this thing where they would say, put the word of
0: God on your mind daily. And so they created these little boxes with a string around it, and they would write scripture verses, put them in the box, and tie it around their foreheads. So the word of God was always on their foreheads. And then they did this other cool thing, when you would walk into their homes, they would write the scriptures above their door frames. They would teach their kids as they were walking out, they would read, this is what the word of the God says, this is what the word of the Lord says they had put it on their minds so that, that their focus would be on, on, on God daily.
2: And it was so powerful the way they did things. By meditating on the Word of God, we learn how to be wise. Verse 98 says, Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. The importance
0: of reading our Bibles is about gaining godly wisdom. It allows us to become wiser than our enemies. Our enemy is Satan, and he seeks to devour us, and he shoots fiery arrows at us. But because we have wisdom, because we have the word of God inside of us, we're able to deflect all of the deception. We're able to deflect all of that. When we meditate on the words of God, we attain discernment. Discernment means I'm able to tell between what's right and wrong. Discernment says, man, God's speaking to me, so I know that there's something off here, and I need to be cautious, or I know that this is wrong because the Word of God tells me this is wrong, and so I'm going to follow God. It allows us to have discernment. You see, in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, 12 through 14, it says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but, but the spirit of who God is, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not... In words were taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truth and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. See, we need to speak to God and ask him when we read the Bible, help me to understand what you want to say to me.
2: Help me to understand what God is speaking to me. And again, Ephesians 5.15 says, live your life as wise and not unwise. You see, when we meditate on the Word of God, we gain more insight. It allows us to look in there and understand,
0: this is what God is saying. This is how God is speaking to me. This is what God wants to do to me. In verse 99, it says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statues. If we desire greater insight, let us meditate on the statues
2: of God. Let's meditate on the scripture and say, God, what is it that you want to say to me? See, often when we think of meditation, we think of being quiet and breathing and all these things. It is difficult for me to ever be quiet. I may even talk in my sleep, I'm not sure. But it's not about being quiet, and it's not about breathing. It is about asking the
0: Word of God to come into you and speaking it in your life and praying it into your life. So the Word of God is powerful. It's, it's, it's like a two-edged sword. It's able to discern both bone and marrow. And so when the Word of God comes in, it can tell us immediately, wow, you've got sin over here, this is wrong over here, and it is able
2: to help us chase after God. When we meditate on the Word of God, we gain greater understanding. It
0: says, I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have more understanding than my elders. Not, not because I went to a Bible college, not because of all these other things. All it is is because I read the Word of God and put it to the use in my life. So when I was at Bible college, I was looking at possibly going to seminary, and I was looking at a seminary in Jackson, um, Mississippi. Thank you, Terry. And there was the, uh, the dean of students down there was Dr. Garrett Cockrell. And he came to Oklahoma Wesleyan because I had a couple professors that they earned their Master Divinity from there. And I sat down to talk to him. I said, man, I'm really interested in going to Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I want to learn as much as I can. And he looked at me, and he said, well, tell me, Mark, why do you want to go to seminary? And I said, well, I want to learn the Bible more. I said, by the way, have you ever read Romans chapter 7? It's really kicking my tail. You know what he did?
2: He smiled and looked at me. He said, if you want to understand the Bible better, read it. He said, don't spend your money to go to seminary if you want to understand the Bible better. Just read it. I was like,
0: okay. So I didn't go to seminary because I learned that if I wanted to know the Bible better, if I want to know God better, I could just read the Bible. As Christians, we are on the front line of the battlefield against works of evil, whether we are at work, in business, with our customers, at school, we are on the front lines. We have to know what the Bible says to us. We have to know what God is calling us because the enemy will send people around us who will say this. Does the Bible really say that? Does God really say that? Doesn't God want you to have fun? Doesn't God want you to do this? And we have to be able to say, no, that's not right.
2: I mean, how did did the, the devil tempt Eve? He tempted Eve by saying, did you really hear God say that? She's like, no, I didn't. And so
0: the enemy's going to come up and say, are you sure that's what the Bible says? Are you sure that's right? And so we have to have the word of God inside of us. In Ephesians 5.16, it says we have to make, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of our opportunities. Application of the words of God lead to Maturity. In Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, in, in, in three verses earlier in, in verse 11, he says, Man, you should be drink, eating steak, but you're stuck on milk. It's time to grow up. It's time to start eating solid food. Why are you not there yet? And when we read the Bible, we've got to get to that point where we say, I, I want more of God, and I want him to fill me up, and I want to eat the solid stuff. I want to eat the food.
2: Anyone here ever have their wisdom teeth taken out? Yeah. When I, when I had my wisdom teeth taken out, yeah, Asher just got them
0: taken out. When I had my wisdom teeth taken out, uh, I had braces before. So I was used to a little bit of mouth pain and stuff like that. But they said, hey, you know, for the first three days, eat soft food. And so they stopped when we went out of town, and they got my brother who got his wisdom teeth out at the same time I did, got us both shakes, and so I downed my shakes because I was used to a little bit of mouth pain. I just couldn't, just downed it. My brother, a little bit, he couldn't handle it anymore, so he gave me the rest of his, and so I ate his shake. We stopped at the grocery store. Here's a cruel trick. Grapes are the worst thing to eat when you have no feeling in your mouth. You know why? You can't tell if you're chewing on a grape or a numbed-up cheek. The next morning I woke up and I had two holes in the side of my mouth because I thought I was chewing on grapes, so I was chewing on my cheeks. Yeah, yeah. I was going to thank you out to my, my parents on that one. that was awesome.
2: But you know what? I didn't want to stay on soft food. I couldn't wait to eat real food. There's something about being
0: able to to grow up and get to the the steak and potatoes, the, the meat that we need and we
2: crave and we desire to eat hard food and know, wow, this is really good. We've got to get away from the milk. Because in
0: Psalm 119, 9 through 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've shared this with people. I love the Chinese people. I worked for a Chinese family in college. We buy donuts from a Chinese family now. But the Chinese people are so giving and so loving. The Chinese government, no, they're not. Right now in China, there are people who have one page of Scripture, and it's it's outlawed to be a Christian in China, and so they will memorize that page of Scripture, then they will take it to another Chinese believer, and they will switch it out. And then they will get that one until they have it memorized, then they'll switch it out. Their goal is what? To memorize the entire Word of God.
2: I had a friend in college, his name was Kelly Bartholomew, who had a goal of memorizing the entire Bible. I thought, that is really crazy.
0: But also, I thought it was pretty cool as well. I do not have that desire, but I know this,
2: that the more of the word of God that I can recall, the easier it is for me to fight against the devil. You see, when we meditate, we learn to avoid evil paths. In verse 101, it says, I've
0: kept my feet from every evil path so I might obey your word. The words of God guide our feet against walking along evil paths. Every sinful activity leads to an evil path, but the word of God lives inside us. We can avoid them. When we meditate on the word of God, when it's inside of us, we can avoid the pitfalls. The word of God basically is saying this to us, danger, Will Robinson, danger. I, I grew up watching Looney Tunes, so now when I go to the grocery store and I see the X's where they want us to stand, I never stand in the X. Because we all know why. I stand on that X, anvil drops in my head, I have a headache, right? <laughs> I avoid the X's. Everyone's about to game. hey, you didn't stand on the X. I'm like, no, no, I, I don't play that game. I know what's going to happen if I stand on the X. The word of God is basically telling us, avoid the X's. Not, not like, don't go to the store and say, you know, my pastor told me I shouldn't stand on these X's. If you, if you tell them, anybody at church told you not to stand on the X's, tell them Jack told you that. But the Word of God is saying, "This is evil. This is sinful. Avoid this. Avoid this. It, it pops up these red flags and we understand, "Wow, because we are not foolish, but the word of God gets inside of us, it allows us to be wise. In Ephesians 5:17, it says, "Therefore
2: do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't be foolish We learn to hate evil. Verse 104 says, I gain understanding from your precepts,
0: therefore I hate every wrong path. We learn what evil is and we hate it. We, we, uh, we stray away from We stay away from it because we know what God is calling us to. It gives a desire to, to hate evil. Verse 113 says, I hate d-
2: double-minded men, but I love your law. Double-minded men. People who are in the world, and are trying to be in God as well. We, we fight this battle where we want to have one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. And we're running along the fence thinking, this is normal, until we come to a fence post. When I was a junior in high school, I was at youth camp that summer and God started
0: to speak to me about trying to keep one foot in heaven and one foot on earth. He said, hey, what are you going to do? Are you truly going to chase after me? Or do you just want to be part of the world? Because I had worldly desires, but I had a heavenly calling, and I, I wanted to do my own thing. But I also wanted to follow God. God. And God had to put to death the double-mindedness of Mark. In verses 127 to 128, it says, Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. That's a a strong word. I mean, we tell our kids not, not to say the word hate, right? But there are certain things that we should hate. We should hate sin. We should hate wrongdoing. We should hate double standards. In verse 163, it says, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Because of the deeper understanding of what we receive during biblical meditation, during pouring into God, allowing God to pour into us and speak to us, we're able to distinguish right and wrong. That's where God wants us. God wants us to stand in the midst of his glory. There's something amazing about this, when you think about this, God desires ever, evermore to live with us, to be among us, to be our God, to, to encompass us with His passion and His desire and to change us. And when we become more like God, and He starts to burn away the things that are not Christ-like, we start to become more Christ-like. I love playing with fire and I love playing with candles. And when you light a candle and you have it sitting upright, you'll you'll kind of see a little bit of the wax starting to drip down. But if you turn it sideways, more of the wax will drip down because more of the flame is encompassing the wax. And then you get to a point where you can almost turn it upside down, the wax just starts to bleed off of that thing. And you see, for us, Jesus Christ is the flame. And the sinfulness of the world is the wax. And we're trying to shed wax as fast as possible. And Jesus Christ comes along and he takes our hand and he says, you were once, you were born into a life of sin. You were born with a bent towards sinning. But now I am your Savior. He's brought us up. He reached out his hand. He saved us from sin. He saved us from death. And he said, but I don't want to leave you there. I want to transform you. You see, everything in the Word of God is about us becoming more Christ-like. It's about us becoming more holy. It's about us being entirely sanctified, entirely set apart for God. When you meditate on the Word of God, when you put it in your life, you're saying, I want to be more like Jesus. And that's tough. It's so tough. Because becoming more like Jesus every day, we have to die a part of ourselves. The Apostle Paul, in Philippians four eight, says, "Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is any, if anything is praiseworthy, think." about such things. Think about such things. When you're sitting at home and the weight of your day is washing over you and you're emptying your mind of all those things, what are the thoughts that naturally come to mind? God's saying, let's renew the mind. Let's fill your mind up with Christ. Let's fill your mind up with Scripture and allow Him to speak to you. Everything that we do as Christians is allow God to speak to us. So I want us to take a moment to to sit in the presence of God. And I want you to pray and I want you to ask God, is there anything inside of me that you want to wash away? Is there anything inside of me that you want to cut away? And I give you permission to cut it away. There might be some things that you're sitting there and God is just washing over you and God is just speaking to you. There might be some things saying, man, I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up. And there might be a wrestling. There might be a time where you're saying, you know God, it's gonna take a little bit, but I, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try to give this over to you. But the hardest thing, I say this over and over again, the hardest thing about following Christ is being a living sacrifice because at any moment we can get up off of the altar and walk away. But God is saying, my son, my daughter, I've got a greater plan for you. So in the quietness of this moment, I just want you to ask God to speak to you. God, we're listening to your voice this morning. We're asking you to speak, God. When you speak, you free up captives. When you speak, you free us to live a life that's holy and set apart for you. When you speak, you give grace. When you speak, you lift us up. God, I just pray right now that you'd pour out your spirit upon us. I pray, God, that you would speak. And I ask, Lord, every time we open the word of God, it may not be fireworks, God, but when we open up the word of God, that we would gently ask you to speak, God, for your servant is listening. I pray, God, that every time we open the word of God, our prayer would be to hear from you. I pray, God, that we would come to you with hands open, arms outstretched, Saying, pour your grace, pour your mercy into me. God, I just pray right now that you'd speak to us. You know exactly where each and every one of us are. You call us by name. You pour grace and mercy over us. The author of Hebrews says that you sit evermore at the right hand of the Father, seeking to speak on our behalf. And I pray that in knowing us, you would lift us up. I pray God that we would experience your grace, your mercy, your glory. And I pray God that we would seek to go beyond just simple repentance, but go into sanctification. That we would be holy, that we would be set apart, that we would truly be used by you. That we would not be dependent upon our own desires, our own minds, but we would lean on the presence of God. Seeking evermore to know you, to live in your presence. I pray that we would not once again build a foundation of repentance, but we would build a foundation of sanctification, of holiness, of being used by you. I pray, God, that we would experience your glory today. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. As Ashley continues to lead us in worship, maybe right now you just want to sit in there. Maybe there's more that you want from God. and Just ask him to speak. Ask him to pour his mercy and his grace over you. Maybe there's hurts that you need to lay down. Maybe there's more from God that you're seeking, more from God that you're desiring. You just need to say, God, I need you to pour out grace and mercy in my life. But God's word never returns void. And he promised us that we would have life and we'd have it to the fullest. We'd have it more abundantly. Dear God, I just pray over these saints today. I pray, God, that you'd pour grace and mercy. As we continue to worship you, God, I pray that we would seek you today. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.
1: Hang on to.
0: you, Father, for speaking to us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding and directing us. And I just ask right now, Lord, continue to speak, continue to move. I pray as we leave this building today that we would leave the Holy Spirit That we would take God with us wherever we go. And that others would feel the presence of God. I pray, Lord, that you would go before us and prepare the way. We just pray this in your holy name. Amen.